Welcome back to another episode of Real Good Movies. If you are a constant listener and we both have listened to, we listen to our own work. We're kind of conceited like that. It is what it is. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I did want to address the scandal uh, that was that plagued last week's episode. I was actually recording that episode off the coast of Costa Rica, whatever that island is where Jurassic Park is. So that's why I sounded like absolute shit. Uh, this week we are visiting San Francisco as we talk about The Rock. From Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, the producers of Top Gun and Crimson Tide, and Michael Bay, the director of Bad Boys, Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, Ed Harris. This summer, get ready to rock. I don't want people to actually think we're in San Francisco here. The Rock, if anybody's listening and hasn't seen it, a mild-mannered chemist and an ex-con must lead the counter-strike when a rogue group of military men led by a renegade general threaten a nerve gas attack from Alcatraz against San Francisco. You said you haven't seen this movie before, correct? This was my first two viewings. Two viewings? Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And at two hours and I think 17 minutes, it kind of is a long movie when a lot of people might look at that runtime and say, well, I don't know if I'm, I'm in for that. But mm-hmm. if you, having not seen The Rock, did you read the premise or did you know what this film was about before jumping into it? I knew absolutely nothing about this movie. I, to be 100% honest with you, I didn't even take the title in consideration thinking it was about Alcatraz. The only Alcatraz movie I could even think of was Escape from Alcatraz. And I didn't think that, I I don't know what I thought this was. Uh, I figured it was an action movie given the stars, but military, uh, Alcatraz, any of that, no clue. Walk us through your first uh, initial (laughs) impressions of The Rock. Because this is is a movie that it's not critically acclaimed. They didn't slobber all over this movie. People aren't crazy for it. But it does have a following and it is talked about. Um, because of the people in this movie, because the people attached to this movie, what was your first thoughts going into first viewing? Well, to uh, talk about the point that you just said, when I told people, when I initially told people that we were doing the rock this week, because there is a, a very small select group of, of people that I speak to that, uh, that are really stoked about this podcast and listen to every episode that we've done. That's Probably. awesome. But yeah, they're, they constantly every week, what are you guys doing this week? Uh, what are you talking about? I can't wait to hear it and all that stuff. And um, letting people know that we were doing The Rock universally, every single response. Oh my God, I love that movie. Uh, nice. That's all I heard from anyone. So I'm, you know, been around uh, film my whole life. I'm into movies like this. I like Nick Cage and, <laughs> and, and everything like that. And uh, yeah, there just wasn't, I'm even like a pretty big fan of, of bad boys and i don't know how this one just slipped through and i never watched it but i never did so um Mm -hmm. so yes this was my first viewing went in completely as we just discussed completely blind on it reading no synopsis or anything that first viewing wild uh and i was pretty uh blown away i really liked it a lot it was a lot of fun uh when it when it opens and we're introduced to um to nick cage's character and the in, in his opening scenes and, and, and all of that, I really, really liked him a lot. I was able to uh, 
kind of connect with him. Like he, he was, uh, I don't know. He was a really great character in this. I really, really like his performance in this. Yeah. And the, the reason that I talk about that right now is because I like Nick Cage as an actor. He's a lot of fun. He goes, goes big as shit a lot of times and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, but I really did like the way his character was written here a lot. I, I think that was the main appeal of this movie for me to tell you the truth. And I know we'll get into all of that later and everything, but, I I really liked his character a lot. I liked what he did with it. I liked that some of it was a little open-ended and weird um, in in areas that you wouldn't think would be. Like I I have in my notes here, at the beginning of the movie, he sent this package to his office and it's got like a Beatles LP LP in it. (laughs) And um, I'll go ahead and throw this out there because this is an odd fact about me. Um, I really don't like the Beatles. I'm I'm like the... uh, I don't like okay. the Beatles at all. Like I'm, I'm not a fan. A hundred percent. Hey, listen, if we lose loser, yeah, lose we will because we will. this, we both do not like the Beatles. So. Okay. Oh, wow. Both of us. Okay, cool. That's, that's uh, really hard to find, but um, yep. I feel like they're overrated and, and that's not what this podcast is about or anything, but mm. it, it was such a weird thing to throw in there. He even says he's a Beatle maniac but it never comes back around in the entire movie that, that I noticed in my two viewings. And I kept waiting. I was like, okay, something's going to happen. There's going to be like a big scene where he's got a quote sure. of Beatles song, or he names his kid, John Lennon or something, but it just never comes back around. It's like the weirdest thing, but I yeah. love how weird and open-ended that is. Yeah. We know that he's a Beatle maniac for no reason other than that's just his character. And he just is a couple oh. things. <laughs> you're right. It's that I can thrust myself. I can, I consider myself to be kind of, quote unquote nerdy mm-hmm. in, in the fact that I don't know how to throw a football. <laughs> <laughs> I watch some hockey, but that's about it. But to to ha- to be the nerd main character and be thrust into this really cool action adventure movie with Sean Connery and Ed Harris. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get uh, represented there. And I can relate to Nicolas Cage a little bit more than if he was just a, you know, a gun toting action superhero like Arnold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the appeal there. Now, what you said about the the Beatles thing, I, I I totally agree with you. And I did catch these a couple in writing. I, I you're familiar with the term Chekhov's gun, yes, right. It's for the audience and listening doesn't know what that means. It means you introduce something early in a story to have that item or that gun fire later on in the story. And there are a ton of Chekhov's guns in this movie mm-hmm. that <laughs> either they're forgot about accidentally or this, this movie's just packed too full to the brim and ever some things get um, forgot. So that may contribute in our, at the end in our ratings to see if that takes off some points. Yeah, it was really interesting. And, and to circle back to what you asked me about my initial viewing and everything, mm-hmm. I really did think it was, it was messy. Like it was a messy movie, but I like the way that it's messy. It works for it. It's kind of charming in a way to where it's yeah. not so formulaic it, it, it it's like is and it isn't it's kind of cool <laughs> yeah it's really what michael bay is known for mm-hmm. when you hear the name michael bay our listeners probably have heard the name michael bay with uh, projects like the transformers under his belt he's a household name mm-hmm. and his movies are popcorn movies you we use that term a couple times in the show yeah <laughs> they're popcorn movies and they're made to make money. They're not Scorsese movies. You're not going to get The Departed out of a Michael Bay film. So to expect that is is kind of you're letting yourself down if you don't just turn your mind off and walk into a Michael Bay movie as you predict it to be. Yeah, and I think the thing one of the big things about Michael Bay is of course that he started out as like a music video uh director or <laughs> but but something with music videos. He did something with music video. Okay. And that's kind of how he was discovered or whatever and you kind of you can kind of see that in some of his stuff. Like it's 
more the shots and stuff that matter that kind of overtakes what's going on. His flashiness. There's a little bit more flashiness, a little more pizzazz Mm -hmm. than you would see out of a Tarantino. Yeah. uh, Is what I I noticed about Michael Bay. Now this is the first movie and we, we joke about Nicolas Cage every, (laughs) every week. I was waiting for this. I was excited for this one. (laughs) This is Liz. This, this will come back. How do you feel about the rock being the first movie of Nicolas Cage's that we, we, we talk about? I really like it. It's, it's really cool. It gave me, this unique perspective to where I've seen a lot of Nicolas Cage movies. I like a lot of them. As I said before, some of his performances can be really over the top and, and you can view them that way, but I really liked his performance in this. And I think it was a great way to introduce him on our podcast to our listeners (laughs) um, who, who, uh, it's a good introduction for him. Yeah, it, I, I'm on your side. I I agree that this is a great film to start uh, our Nicolas Cage journey on, if mm-hmm. there is one. Uh, <laughs> be, we could cover Leaving Las Vegas, where he wins his Oscar. We'll we'll talk about what's aged great about this movie, but but that's that's just not fun to talk about. Leaving Las Vegas is not a fun movie that I could a rewatch and b talk <laughs> about for at least an hour. So yeah. I'm really glad that this is the, the first one we're doing. And, and like we said, it's, it's a Michael Bay movie. How well versed are you in, in the Michael Bay movie verse? Not that well. Uh, no. Is there, uh, is there a point where you could say, Hey, this is my favorite Michael Bay movie. I have seen enough to have a favorite Michael Bay movie. Okay. Um, well, the fans have got to know now, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I feel like it's got to be bad boys. I really like bad I've boys. asked. Um, I asked people too. Uh, when we talk about Michael Bay, I, I always usually ask, Hey, what's your favorite movie of this? And it bad boys usually be tends to be the number one answer. Uh, my producer is a big fan of transformers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, I think the number one popcorn movie of all time. Yeah. Transformers is very fun. So let us know, uh, get in touch with us somehow. That's up to you. I'm not going to do the footwork there, but let us know what your favorite Michael Bay movie is. The actors. This is a movie just by looking at the, the box art, just by picking up the DVD, you see three huge names in this movie. You get Nicolas Cage, who is at his prime, Ed Harris and the legendary Sean Connery. Based on, on just that alone, just the top billing there. You don't even need a script. Just throw these guys in a uh, room and hit record on the camera for an hour, sorry, two hours and and 10 minutes or whatever. And they'd come out with something amazing anyways, with no script or anything. So it doesn't really matter, but yeah. uh, But yeah, uh, we have our first, I I think, right. This is our first real good movies alumni with um, Ed Harris and then Tony Todd. (laughs) So we have a double and yeah, we finally have reached that. There's so many milestones we're hitting here. We have our, our alumni. We have, what are we going to say with how does Nick Cage fit into this movie? That's going to be really interesting. So um, we're going to change that question up a little bit. I did think of that this time. Damn it. (laughs) And I thought, Hey, if we can't have Nicholas Cage, we fell in love with Tony Todd in final destination. How does he fit? Oh wait, he's in this movie too. So like, as I'm watching this movie, there's more and more stars, even Michael Bean from, uh, Mm -hmm. who played Kyle Reese in Terminator. Yes. Not very well known, but he shows up in this movie too. Yeah, it's it's insane, and there there's some really great performances in this movie. I would say uh, 
of course, Sean Connery. I mean, anytime you put Sean Connery on, on screen, you have a wonderful time. Sean Connery is just, he's James Bond. So, I mean, what, what else can you say about that? But, uh, some, we did theories on the, the Final Destination episode, and we're going to talk about a theory about this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard about it, but having not seen the movie, I don't imagine you would have heard about the theory. No, I haven't. <laughs> uh, but we'll get to that later before we go to awards. Nicolas Cage, would you say this is the height of the Nicolas Cage career at this point? This movie comes out in 1996. You know, that's actually really hard to answer to, to tell you the truth. Uh, Nick Cage has so many weird ups and downs, and he is viewed as a award-winning actor, a, a, yeah. a pretty good actor to a super campy, hammy, insane, crazy performance actor all yeah, the way sure. back through all of that again. So, so I don't know if this is the pinnacle of Nick Cage. I almost feel to tell you the truth, like that earlier uh, 2000s, like wicker man kind of stuff might okay. be, might even be <laughs> the pinnacle yeah. of Nick Cage or what he's doing right now uh, is, is something huge too. But I don't know. Nick Cage is all over the place. Uh, Raising Arizona. How do you call out something that Nick Cage has done at the peak of his career? I really don't know. It's tough to, uh, for any actor, it's tough to say because it's all subjective, mm-hmm. but my case for Nick Cage, and this is being the pinnacle of of Nick Cage, is 95, you have Leaving Las Vegas. He wins the Academy Award. For mm-hmm. any actor, I think that's the pinnacle of, of acting or the craft of acting. Sure. Well, that's a good metric. So I like after that, that <laughs> we got The Rock over mm-hmm. mid in the middle talking about. We got Con Air after that. Don't know if you've seen it, but it's one of those legendary 90s action movies. Oh, I love Con Air. And, <laughs> you know, when someone talks about two two actors who peaked, I think, in their 90s, Face Off is a perfect example in 97. Yes. That comes out after Con Air. Con Air. So I think those that stretch from 95 to 97, 98 is Nicolas Cage's best work. I was looking up his his IMDb and there is those gone, gone in 60 seconds wicker man that year and he's recently become sort of like a cult renaissance kind of guy where he makes makes the movie pig I don't know if, if you're too familiar with that <laughs> I'm familiar with it I haven't seen yeah. it so pig which gets crazy reviews and mm-hmm. then his his newest movie uh where he plays himself Mm-hmm. his kind super of weird. meta so, movie yeah yeah he doesn't <laughs> want to go away he still wants to be relevant in hollywood and i i think i, I applaud him for that yeah and I, I actually think he's doing a really good job with it and and it's you mentioned uh face off face off for a lot of people i mean that's that's such a weird uh movie of course uh, given the premise and everything but but face off is one of those movies that's talked about in in a way that's it did pretty well. I don't know if it's how, how it did with the critics or whatever when it came out, but it did pretty well financially and everybody talked about it. And then it became this thing that everybody just made fun of for a really long time. Yeah. And now uh, it, people talk about it again. I mean, people love face off. Uh, we're talking about reboots and stuff now um, or yes. sequels or whatever. Uh, face off is a really, really fun movie and as is con air. So yeah. Are, are you in favor of a sequel to face off a sequel? Yes. Okay. If, if we're doing a reboot, uh, I I don't want anyone else casting those roles though. No, those characters, whether you like that movie or not, it's they carry it. John Travolta and and Nick Cage. But we're I'm, try, I'm trying not to get sidetracked by Face <laughs> sure, Off. Sure. This it's is hard, the Rock. Hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ed Harris shows up. Uh, well, in this, and then I think uh, three years later, uh, our becomes our boy Kristoff in the Truman Show. This 
role he plays in this movie, I think I have to say I, I admire or I am more impressed by because of, well, he gets a lot more screen time than he did in the Truman Show. Um, but I think Nicolas Cage is made to play a, an AWOL army general or marine general. I <laughs> think mm-hmm. he is not typecast, but he he fits this role perfectly. Yeah, uh I really like him in this role as well. There's there's definitely downsides to it. I it, it's not perfect casting for me, but he does do a really wonderful job and I I really enjoy his performance. Uh, something about Ed Harris's presence, something about the this is going to be really hard to explain <laughs> and and maybe stick with me here for a second and maybe maybe you'll catch what I'm saying or maybe it will make sense or maybe it won't. Actors especially these actors in these big roles, these big budget Hollywood movies, most of the time that they're on screen there, it's pretty dialogue heavy or action heavy. You're not usually spending a lot of time with these actors where you're kind of looking into their eyes and their silence or anything like that going on. But there are milliseconds. There's brief little times in between things. And I feel like certain people do really well in executing their role in those times. And then other people don't. For me, Ed Harris kind of fails in those like little pockets where there's nothing going on, where somebody like Nick Cage really thrives. Um, he can still express something without any dialogue, without any set piece, without any action going on. Um, and, and I feel like that lacks a little bit for Ed Harris. Yeah, that's totally fair to say. When I was watching him in this, you can't really say that. You're right, what you wanted to say in in a short sentence. You're right, sure. though, mm-hmm. that there are little beats that he doesn't pick up on. And I was watching him in this movie and, and thinking, if there's one movie or one character that's out of place in this movie, it feels like it's Ed Harris. He's yeah. re- He really went hard in this movie, almost to a flaw. Because there is no other characters in this movie that match that real feeling that he goes for in this movie. Yeah, and it's almost who he's up against, in my opinion. I think that he did a wonderful performance and mm. and he's enjoyable to watch on screen here. The problem is, is he's up against Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. So uh, they, <laughs> yeah, they really... Uh, do 110% and you know, maybe he's 95. So it's, it's a little, it's a little harder there. Yes. Yeah, it's, a, it's an uphill battle for, for Ed Harris. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he'll show up again in another episode. I can only hope. <laughs> Speaking of Sean Connery, I'm, I'm a big fan of older age, Sean Connery kind mm-hmm. of aged like a fine wine, Sean Connery yeah. being a huge James Bond fan, bunch of James Bond stuff behind me. <laughs> I grew up with Sean Connery watching Sean Connery movies, a uh, big part when he died, man, that's devastating yep. passing away. Well, first actor to play James Bond, but second passing away. So it was really a bummer, but, to go back and watch not just his James Bond stuff, but stuff like The Rock, where he, I, I don't know, I don't want to say it, but I think older age Sean Connery might be prime Sean Connery. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. He's got something to him. Of course, younger Sean Connery has a lot of charisma and to him and something about older Sean Connery. He doesn't, he definitely doesn't feel like your granddad or anything like that, but he's just this insane, cool guy that you older guy that you just want to hang out with. You just want to be around. You want to hear him talk. Yeah. I, I really enjoy Sean Connery. Everybody does that really bad impression. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tarnish his <laughs> legacy with a bad Sean Connery. We all know I'm not going to try to do an impression. So <laughs> we'll leave it at that. So stay tuned. We're on impression watch. <laughs> it kind of sounded like kind of a diva on set. I was reading this note that he wanted the water 
a lot of water in this movie, a lot of <laughs> pipes and, and whatnot. And he wanted the water heated to 90 degrees. And then it started happening on set that everybody started catching the flu within hours. And the doctor said, you know what, this is like a big incubator for diseases and sickness. So uh, they had to shut that down. And I thought, who else would ask for 90 degree water except <laughs> Sir Sean Connery? Yeah, who else would be given 90 degree water? Uh, yeah, true. Everyone else <laughs> would we wouldn't comply with those demands if it was anyone besides Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah, right. Nicholas Cage himself couldn't even ask for that. <laughs> no, so. I don't think so. Uh, Michael Bay had an idea for a sequel, which involved a now married good speed in possession of the microfilm evidence, which he finds at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, to find himself pursued by the government with nowhere else to run. I think it kind of turns into an enemy of the state. I think you could just watch Enemy of the State and say, hey, this is the sequel that Michael Bay may have, may have wanted. I really like how movies ended up like that, and especially in the 90s. Uh, you always had this little little tiny open door at the end where you could put in a sequel or, or make a sequel or whatever. Yeah. But most of the times that didn't materialize. And, and I like that. It's fun to just have these little things. It almost gives you... I don't know if you're younger or really imaginative or whatever, you can kind of take it and just run with it yourself and, and sure. make a sequel in your head or whatever. And, and think about it like that. But I, I really like that a lot. It's hard now because you view everything as a franchise or everything is getting a sequel. Everything yeah. has to have the mid and post credit stingers and, and all of that. And, and I really like whenever we can just kind of end a movie like that. And, and that's the end of it. This was a single piece of media that was a lot of fun to watch um, and to, to, take kind of the roller coaster ride of and and then you get off and you're done great i agree with you (laughs) two hours and and 17 minutes is just um pure adrenaline we'll go through the movie we'll pick it apart best and worst scenes and what dragged and what didn't but before we get to the awards there was a theory i wanted to share with you and then when i first heard this theory i thought well that's a long shot that sounds a little nuts there's there's got to be pieces missing now the theory is that sean connery's john mason is actually a retired James Bond. <laughs> uh, I mean, in an alternate universe, he definitely is. Yeah. Now there, <laughs> I, I don't know how well versed you are with James Bond. I don't expect anybody listening to be a super James Bond, like knowledgeable. It's totally fine. I get it. But during the movie, he, he mentions British special forces a couple mm-hmm. times. Yep. He says he was with the SAS 30 years ago. Mm hmm. Uh, based on 1996, this movie coming out, that would have been 1962, which is the year <laughs> Dr. No comes out. Now I'm going really deep. I'm not going to go too crazy. I like this. <laughs> In the terms of the names, the name John Mason, uh, mm-hmm. if you ever watch a James Bond movie, you and I both know he uses pseudonyms, fake names, aliases almost in every movie or every other movie. Sure. You have to have your James Bond. Makes sense. Yeah, he, you have to. You have to kind of make up this this John Mason. And if he's captured by the Americans and, and thrown in prison, the British Secret Service, they're not going to acknowledge him. They're going to say, you know what? He's We don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. John Mason, never heard of him. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty impressive. And then Connery's last Bond, Diamonds Are Forever, was in 1971. And there's a video called The Rock is Definitely a James Bond Movie. It's a it's a YouTube video, which I encourage everybody watching. It goes into way more depth than I'm talking about uh, by Pentex Productions. So little plug for them, whoever they are. People say, you know, James Bond, oh, he was not acknowledged by the government. The government would get him back. In Skyfall and Die Another Day, they show very well that they're letting they're willing to let James Bond or John Mason just sit in a cell, be tortured for a long time. They'll take the shot at him, knock him off the train in Skyfall. 
almost killing James Bond. There's a ton of this evidence in this movie. And I think I love, I like this movie even more when I start to think about those connections and how this may be a retired James Bond movie. There's so many properties, franchises, these kinds of things. Um, even, even something more, uh, uh, smaller to me, at least, you know, like Doctor Who or something like that, where there's yeah. so much different media that continues it on outside of its uh, show or movie or, or yeah. whatever. Um, and James Bond has, you know, little novels and, and, and all of that. There's a few comic book series and stuff, but you don't see as much out there. So it would be really cool to see uh, somebody tie this into 007. I like that. Yeah. It's just as a James Bond fan and to think that, Michael Bay made this movie with Nicolas Cage, Ed Harris, and and Sean Connery and kind of pulled it off as a, a nonchalant James Bond movie just adds to the fun of this movie. Yeah, it makes sense too because one of the first things I noticed about this movie when I started watching it is, well, number one, it just it it hits the gate. Like it just it starts immediately. There's no real setup. I mean, you get like a second of it, but there's not a whole lot of setup or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But to think uh, this movie just exists, it's just so weird. Like, wh- what is the purpose of this? What are they trying to say? I get that it's just like a fun action movie or whatever, but um, but that would make uh, a lot of sense. <laughs> Do you think this movie really changed action movies or this one-upped uh, most action movies from before it and kind of created this super blockbuster that you would call the rock. I think it probably had a hand in that. I don't know if it single-handedly did. Uh, I could definitely see what you mean with like the casting and everything. And mm. then especially the, the kind of Michael Bay thing, or at least the early Michael Bay thing where you kind of get to the point of almost this like ultra violence with it. It's, it's a lot of stuff that you kind of don't expect to see for such a big blockbuster on screen that kind of, makes it okay for other uh, creators to do that later. Definitely stuff that's in bad boys in here at least. Uh, so, so yeah, I could definitely see it opening the door and contributing a lot to that. Yeah. I think it helped this movie a lot. It finished eighth place in uh, 1996, mm-hmm. the top three winners of that year uh, in, in descending order was heat twister breaking <laughs> in $241 million. And at number one, independence day so that's some tough competition in 1996 uh i'd say a pretty decent year for movies oh yeah to to have to go up against independence day that's that's rough you have uh america's sweetheart and everything and that so (laughs) star of the slap and everything but uh that scandal yeah that's a callback to one of our previous episodes i don't know which one but we're um, gonna leave the little marvel easter eggs in episodes people love it oh the word i was looking for earlier was fan fiction sorry that it's that, that it's michael bay's fan fiction to 007. That's what I was going for. I love that <laughs> term. I never yeah. thought to put those two together. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Because that's the kind of movie I would love to make. And Hey, retired James Bond that was in and out of prison kind of stuff is a hardened criminal has a daughter. It's, it's a, it's a really cool level to the James Bond experience, whether you believe it or not, watch the video. <laughs> we'll revisit next week. I believe it now, whether it's true or not. Anyway. Awesome. Good shit. <laughs> <laughs> the awards, as always, um, I, I inserted a new one and okay. this was kind of easy, not kind of easy, but <laughs> more fitting for a movie that this movie, and I don't want to say this in a negative way, is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. 
there are parts in this movie. I'm like, well, that's ridiculous. Oh yeah. So I'm calling this award. Well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, the biggest things uh, that I couldn't, I tried so hard to look past, but it just fits a Nicolas Cage movie was the race or the, the car chase scene in San Francisco mm-hmm. where the streetcar blows up and hits the ground and slides downhill towards Nicolas Cage's Ferrari. I thought there's no way a streetcar slides that <laughs> far for that long. And uh, at the end, towards the end of the movie, the bomb sphere he puts in his front pocket. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How did that not explode? It's beyond me. I love that. I actually have that in my notes as well. And not in the same way that you do. Just as a side note of how much I love the fact that that he has that and then takes it and puts it in the dude's mouth. And it's just, it's wonderful. There's actually... Uh, me being a big comic book fan, as we've talked about a couple of times on sure. on this uh, podcast, it's something that I really like about this movie. There are certain scenes in here that feel like a comic book. They're, they're straight out of a, a comic book panel, especially towards the beginning of the film where uh, where Ed Harris has um, everybody facility, going in. Right? Yeah, yeah. The, exactly. Yeah. Reading the facility for the uh, VX gas loaded yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know one of them where where the one dude has to stay behind and his body just begins bubbling up and melting yep. and he begins dying and everything like that it, it's almost like a panel out of the incredible hulk or something i love that so much and that would be so much fun but that is one of the most ridiculous scenes for me i love the way that that, <laughs> that plays out yeah it's it's okay sometimes uh, if you're watching uh knives out or you're watching truman show you can't look at it and say well that's ridiculous but yeah. there's something about a mega a mega action movie like the rock where you kind of look past and you say well it fits it mm-hmm. fits because this is there's no way this is a real story so yeah and and i think another one might be uh one of my favorite scenes in this movie as well whenever connery's gotta go underneath the flames of the i don't know in, oh, the, in the, the burners the burners <laughs> yeah the burners yeah <laughs> and then everyone's waiting they think he he just left and then he pops open the door and i i what a wonderful scene <laughs> we'll, we'll get to best quote of the movie in in just a few but let's talk best scenes actually no let's get worst scenes out of the way okay because this one's kind of a drag not a drag my candidates for worst scene to see if you agree with me the car chase scene way too long <laughs> i understand it's a michael bay film and you gotta have car chases you gotta have explosions i get it but this one felt like it went on a little too long and they could have trimmed the fat on that taken that 17 20 minutes off of the film <laughs> a little bit here and there so that's my beef with that um i want to read i i want to interrupt you for one yeah. second and read you a very small these are my exact notes i'm going to show you on on the <laughs> these are my notes here um so so this is a quote from myself that I, that I typed up here in my notes, what I've learned about you since the beginning of this podcast is you're not a huge horror movie fan. You don't like dinosaurs and you have a general distaste for car chase scenes. (laughs) (laughs) We've hit on about three so far. So how do you feel about this one? (laughs) Well, okay. I'll I'll confirm the the, the dinosaur one. I'm sticking by that. Uh, it's tough because I feel like if we do a movie like baby driver or the mm-hmm, matrix reloaded, mm-hmm. where a huge portion of that movie is centered around a car chase, I'm going to be changing my tune. Sure. But <laughs> I think, I think it just so happens that the two times the car chases are in this movie where I would, I wouldn't eliminate it completely, but I trim it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
it just so happens to be the two movies we covered. <laughs> uh, being a James Bond fan, it, it's tough to be a James Bond fan and not admire car chases. It's, it's a staple there. So I think sure. if they're if they're tastefully done and and right and they're not overly verbose, I think I can get behind it. But this one, it dragged a little bit, if that makes sense. And oh, I yeah. get it. You, you got to have it in the movie. I get Michael Bay. It is what it is. So <laughs> I was going to say, you, you you have to have it in the Michael Bay movie. It's yeah. a staple. So. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, the minecart scene mm-hmm. where they're under, I, how many tunnels are in Alcatraz? <laughs> I'm not an architect or anything, but I'm pretty sure they don't have a minecart system. Correct me if I'm wrong, listener, please, anybody. Well, they want to make sure that even though it's completely inescapable and, and no one gets off the rock, uh, that they do leave some presence down there in case you do want to get off the rock. So okay. they got to have a mining tunnel. <laughs> it just seems, it seems like so silly, especially at the end, near the end of the movie, when, when we're just getting into the good stuff. I, I just don't know what it was about the mic. And maybe it wasn't that scene at all. Maybe it's just the, the length of it kept uh, kept going a little bit. What did you have for worst scene? This was my first two viewings of this movie. I hadn't ever experienced up it up until now. Um, so to pick out like a worst scene is, is a little tricky. Uh, this was a good movie. I had a wonderful time with it. But awesome. uh, I will say that at the very beginning of the movie, to tell you the truth, the scene that we open on with the funeral with Ed Harris um, with him devising his plan and all of that. I thought it was, it was really weird. It was really weird how certain things are over explained in this movie and certain things are vaguely explained and certain things are shown and not verbally touched on at all and how certain things just exist. And this just existed. It was weird. It was, uh, I mean, of course I can understand what they're implying, um, but to just come out with that scene where um, obviously his wife had died, uh, obviously having something uh, to to, to do with, with something with the plot of this movie. Yeah, you're um, right. right. With, with none of it being touched on. And then this is also a side note, but this really did bother me to the point of where I had to Google it because I wanted to know if this was a, a thing that that is, happens to military spouses or something. Okay. His wife on the tombstone? Why why is she just his wife? <laughs> it, it felt like too convenient. Oh. Like I was like I was like whose funeral is this? Oh, it's his wife's. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big fan. I agree with you. I, I I just don't really have respect for being spoon-fed things. Yeah. Especially not putting wife on a tombstone and I I can <laughs> see what you say what you mean about that scene is that if you take that scene out that that scene doesn't need to be in the movie. No, it doesn't. You could easily take that scene and have two lines of dialogue by Ed Harris to any other character in this movie. Mm-hmm. And and then, of course, what we got after that was great. And then, of course, whenever we got to Nick Cage, that was great. So so it didn't uh, paint a bad picture for me or anything, mm-hmm. but it was it was odd. It was an odd choice to awesome. open that way. <laughs> the I just I did have a note here and that I wanted to point out about the car chase in downtown San Francisco. It was it made me laugh. And I think these are the parts of the car chase you should have left in with the the comical old lady crossing the street <laughs> when a car's barreling, barreling toward her people jumping off the streetcar. It's that kind of weird comedy that you would expect from this movie, like like Park Ranger Bob. Early, mm-hmm. we'll talk about best characters. <laughs> it's just these over the topness uh, of this movie, and I, I I think that he realized that hey, this this concept's over the top, the movies over the top, the actors are over the top. 
Let's just go with it. What would you say is your favorite scene in this movie? What scene, when you walk into a room, what catches your attention? God, that's that's hard as well. There's a lot of moments in this that I really enjoyed and, and that could easily be the best scene for me. I like the tension in this movie. I like the tense moments, and there's a, a good amount of them. I really, really like the scene where... Uh, now I can't think of his character's name, but um, but Stanley uh, and his guy that he's training or or whatever um, at, at the oh, beginning in, where in the uh, the that that scene's wonderful. I really like that scene a lot. I like how goofy that character becomes when he plays with the baby, and then all hell breaks loose, and mm-hmm. and how they're uh, going over the weird porno mags that are there and everything. That, that that's a that's a fun scene, and then and then it gets really crazy for a second you don't know what's going to happen you're waiting for him to inject the serum into his heart and everything and of course they they play it the way they do so i like that scene a lot and that's that's probably my second favorite scene um and the only reason that i preface with my second favorite versus my favorite (laughs) um is because i feel like it's it's needed to explain this next scene uh when they're when the shootout happens in Alcatraz, uh, at Alcatraz. Now there are a couple shootouts. The the big shootout where the where the gun drops onto the rocks and then it 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 shoots and then everybody begins firing at one another. That scene for me, I I couldn't blink. I I really liked that scene a lot. There was a lot of death and carnage there, but um, but it was a wonderful scene. I like how it was played. I like how. I, it felt justified enough for the characters that didn't get killed in that scene to escape and, and not be killed and then carry on with, with their mission and everything. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was a, a wonderful scene really well put together. Yeah. That, that definitely is my best scene as well. It's the shower, <laughs> the shower shootout. I call there you it go. shower. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it really was impactful because it, it's a big story changer. You wipe out all the Marines that, that Nicholas Cage and Sean Connery are working with. Mm-hmm. You have them on their own inside this big Island. And then you have Ed Harris who in that scene, he really changes from, well, I'm a hard ass. I got to launch these missiles, teach these people a lesson to man. Maybe I made a huge mistake and you can see it on his face. And that I think is the best scene of Ed Harris in this movie is that when the scene's done, when when they stop shooting the ceasefire, it's 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 sad and it's he realizes what he's done and it's it's just too late for him. Yeah, it's weird. I was wondering that as well when I watched it both times. I was wondering, okay, on one hand, uh, this was his plan all along. He was never going to launch any of these things, and it was a bluff. And then on another hand, yeah, he was he was going to go through with all of this, and and he did have a change of heart. I don't know where I land on that. I don't know yeah. if the movie quite spells it out, or if I'm supposed to know or not. But but I'm with you. I, I feel like it was probably a, a character development, was change of heart there, um, and I like that a lot too. Definitely, another honorable mention I had was the end scene where he puts the virus in the guy's mouth, smashes <laughs> it in his mouth, injects himself with that, that needle that we learned about early in the yes. movie. Yes. And then the famous, uh, when he's got the flares, he's, he's signaling the green smoke to the pilots before they drop the bomb. Yeah. Everything I, I saw online and, and all of yeah. that, that's, that's such an iconic uh, still. That's such a, a big scene for everybody to the point where, it's homaged other places and, mm-hmm. and, and all of that. Yeah. It's, it's a great uh, visual, really great. Yeah. 
awesome. It's some signature Michael Bay stuff. So if you're looking, mm-hmm. if you want to think, if you want to see an example of Michael Bay signature stuff, <laughs> take a look at the end of the rock. That's all. That's all we're going to say. Oh, yeah. Next is our favorite character slash actor. This is like my first impression of Ed Harris uh, mm-hmm. from when I watched this movie when I was much younger. And now that I'm watching it as an adult, I don't know if he just goes too hard in the paint here. He just, he sells it too much. He doesn't have any level of silliness or goofiness or, or craziness that even Tony Todd shows up and, and, and goes a little crazy in this movie. He doesn't have that Nicholas cage energy where you can be really super serious, but you gotta be lighthearted and maybe some kind of jokey way. I don't know. I really don't know how to put it. Well, I feel like Ed Harris, sorry, Ed Harris. Ed Hardy. Is, yeah, exactly. Um, is, is, kind of like that hardened character, like everywhere we see him. I I felt the same way about him in the Truman show. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not that I didn't like his performance, but I felt like it was almost like written for him. Like it doesn't, it doesn't seem like uh, it was too much of a sidestep for him to get into character for that role or anything. And then, and then same thing here. Like I'm sure he's a really pleasant guy and everything. I don't mean to say anything bad about him, but, but he doesn't seem to have that same level of nuance that, that especially somebody like uh, Nicholas Cage has or, or Sean Connery. Um, Absolutely. Uh, he doesn't have that same charisma and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes movies need uh, actors like that. And, sure. and, and he does a fine job here. Um, but yeah, I, I hear you. He just lacks some of that charisma that, that some of the other actors in these roles have. That's the perfect way. That's exactly the word I was thinking of. Couldn't couldn't get that word. Charisma. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. We're both word. on that boat tonight. I couldn't think of fan fiction for ten minutes. <laughs> what uh, what's your favorite character all time in this this movie? All right, so it's <laughs> I have to go with 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 Captain Darrow. Uh, I got to go with Tony Todd, and and I feel like it is only Tony Todd because I know it's Tony Todd, and, <laughs> and because we just talked about him. Yeah. But it was an absolute pleasure to see him on screen here. Uh, for the small amount of screen time that he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I could go with Sean Connery because he's wonderful in this. Um, you could mm-hmm. go with Nick Cage. He's equally wonderful. Um, and there's some great side characters in here. There's there's some good performances and and everything. But I really do like Tony Todd. I, I almost campaigned to throw Tony Todd in every movie and give him a minute and... 30 seconds of screen time. And, and I'm fine with that. Like I really Absolutely. like his delivery a lot. Like I like hearing his voice on screen. Yeah. He's, he plays the character that he's supposed to in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's that it, he seems to almost be the first one that's unhinged. That is out of touch with what's really going on. Uh-huh. That is really committed to actually hurting people. And I think that is the horror, the crazy horror element of Tony Todd and why he works so well in final destination. Yeah. And that's what Tony Todd brings a lot of the times. Uh, even if the movie doesn't, it's not necessarily a horror movie or, or, or whatever mm. he brings this. I don't know. He's, he's creepy, but Eeriness, really, yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, he also seems like he could be like a great friend and <laughs> I don't know. He's got like a lot of, we talked about nuance before. He's got a lot of nuance about him. Um, it, he fits in this really weird, uh, category of actor that I, I really can appreciate. So. Absolutely. It's, it's a really small part for him, but he does 
probably the most with his role for mm-hmm. the amount of screen time he does. Yeah, agreed. Um, Park Ranger Bob is an honorable mention. <laughs> My favorite character, I I I got to go with Nicholas Cage, not Nicholas Cage. Sean Connery, my boy, James Bond. Yeah, you, you got to go with the 007. I got you. You got to. And it's nice to, like I said, watch Nicholas Cage. Fuck. <laughs> Not Nicholas Cage. Sean Connery in in what I consider his his better acting years in in his in his old age. So, <laughs> what has aged the best? I my point of contention is that the actors have all aged pretty well. Mm-hmm. This is this movie if you look back at it and you can see probably the best performances of most of the actors in this movie mm-hmm. ed harris you can you can argue is nominated for the truman show for playing Kristoff, but like you said he has that knack for fitting into a hard-hitting by the book uniform our marine general army yep. general i don't remember what what special forces it was sean connery you could say the prime was in James Bond when he was most famous, but something about uh, silver haired Sean Connery <laughs> appeals to everybody. Yeah. Sean Connery is just a wonderfully uh, chiseled man. He's just got that face. Uh, uh, I, I hate to use the same words over and over again, but yeah. there's so much charisma <laughs> in, yeah, yeah, in Sean Connery um, in every performance. Just hearing him talk is just, I said the same thing about Tony Todd, so I'm sounding like a broken record, but these are the people that you just want to hear talk. Like they're just, I could just listen to them talk for hours and just have wonderful voices. The voices of Hollywood. (laughs) Yeah. And Nicolas Cage, obviously like we, we discussed uh, debatable if he's in his prime here, but I think this is probably the best Nicolas Cage movie. And if you want to see Nicolas Cage in in his prime, check this out. Uh, What do you think aged really well when you watch this movie? Yeah, I'm going to go with Nicolas Cage. Uh, Nicolas Cage aged really, really well. He look, Nicolas Cage is one of those actors. Mm. He has doubled back down on himself completely. He hasn't kind of how I I touched on before. He got to the point where Nicolas Cage was a joke. People would make jokes about Nicolas Cage. Um, And that followed for a little while and it became a meme and all of this stuff, but I feel like he embraced it. He was fine with it. He didn't get his feelings hurt. He didn't shy away from the limelight or whatever of that. Uh, He embraced it and just went along with it and look how it's paying dividends for him now. Um, He's going back. He's he's, I'd say he's more like a cult icon now. Yeah. uh, Nicholas Cage is absolutely uh, 100%. And Nicholas Cage is a, He's, he's one of those guys. Now I don't mean to say this because somebody will, you know, maybe there's somebody listening who knows a little bit more about Nicholas cage than me. Maybe he has some skeletons in his closet or whatever that I'm not touching on. Uh, I hope not. But, um, but Nicholas cage just seems like a, like a good hardworking guy yeah. um, <laughs> to me. That's, that's, that's what I get from him. You take something like uh, the scene where I believe her name is Carla. Yeah, his the fiance, girlfriend. His girlfriend. Yeah, okay, fiance, yeah, yeah. Where, where, um, where we're first introduced to Carla, and uh, Nick Cage is just sitting in that chair, just playing his guitar. Um, oh, yeah. just <laughs> so weird. I, I have no idea what he's doing. Um, he's just got these uh facial expressions and, and everything going on, and he's yeah. talking to Carla and telling her about his day, and then he steps back and and says, uh, "I'm sorry." Anyways, you know about your day or whatever he says. Uh, yeah, that's just 
that's Nicolas Cage. Like he just, he feels like that guy. Like he's so just, over the top and crazy, but he cares. Yeah. Erratic <laughs> off the cuff. You, yeah. you, you don't know what to expect. He's so, crazy, but he's not like, uh, he's going to kill you crazy. <laughs> this, this movie actually has my vote for best Nicolas Cage movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite movie to watch with Nicolas Cage in it. Um, I, I've not seen all of his movies, but how does it rank for you? I'm going to say for right now. And the only reason that I give this caveat here is, is because I've only seen it twice and and then mm. both being this last week. So, um, so still con air and face off are going to okay. be above that for me. I might, I might, but it's, it's going to be hard to land right now. Might even put raising Arizona above okay. this as well, but that one has a lot of nostalgia for me. Uh, so it could just be for those reasons. But yeah, uh, this is definitely up there at the very least in the top five of Nick Cage. Awesome. Good to hear. <laughs> what has aged the worst uh, in this movie for you? Well, what's something you watched? You said, well, I can't look past that. That look, That's old. The effects were pretty good. The I, I don't know enough about uh, military stuff or anything to call any of that out and Me say too. it was unrealistic <laughs> or weapons yep. or anything. Um, not not big into any of that kind of stuff. I'm not an Alcatraz scholar by any means. Sure. Uh so it's it's hard to take anything. I would say at the very worst, maybe whenever we're introduced to the nerve gas agents and and how they um, affect everybody and how they're in those gel Spears, balls yeah, and, and, gel and <laughs> whatever. <bombs>. Um, yeah. <laughs> Again, I could be completely wrong. This might be exactly how they are and still are, but it, it feel it feel it felt a little <laughs> uh, campy. It felt a little. Uh, for lack of better term, comic booky to me. Um, mm. That was a lot of the appeal for me in, in some of it. So I don't discredit it for that, but it did feel some of that felt a little unrealistic, but that's really all I have. Well, like you said, there's a level of campiness to it that you more willing to let things slide in a movie like the rock. Mm-hmm. Whereas I wouldn't, if you compare this movie to other prison movies, break-ins breakouts of prison, you normally wouldn't get out of Shawshank or, or other serious tone movies. Mm-hmm. And to pick out the worst thing, I think the city of San Francisco in movies, it doesn't show up. It's fun. Like if you look at the car chase, uh, you know, the hills, the the just the city of, of San Francisco, it doesn't get enough recognition or respect. It's always L.A. or it's always another city, New York. But there's nothing in San Francisco. Sure. I mean, all you get is the opening to Full House and who wants to relive that? So, yeah, I'm not reliving the 90s. This is <laughs> no. this is close to gets to relive in the 90s. So <laughs> if you if you guys, anybody listening out there can make a case for San Francisco um, by all means. But it's just this and Full House. That's it. <laughs> and that's all. <laughs> uh, would this film have spinoffs if made in 2022? I, I thought a lot about this question whenever you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when I when I watched this movie, excuse me, I could see potential for a spinoff. I could definitely see uh, some prequel vibes. Uh, maybe we could we could find what really kind of pushed um, Ed Harris's character over the edge and, and sure. expand on that a little bit more. Uh, we could definitely see the further adventures of uh, uh, Stanley Goodspeed. Um, yeah. Now that he's in a heroic role instead of an office job, yep. he's kind of turned that corner. So I could see something like that, but but I don't know that it really warrants one. Uh, again, we talked about this earlier. How it's it's just such a fun romp. It's like a get in and get out, and you're mm-hmm. done. And I really like that part of it, and I feel like that really adds to the appeal. So. Mm-hmm. 
my vote is that it doesn't have one, but but would it would the studio try to squeeze every penny out of this? Yeah, I'm sure, probably somehow. Oh, absolutely, they would. <laughs> I mean, we talked earlier about the uh, the sequel possibilities. And the problem when you have a, a decent movie and everything's wrapped up in the end is that you don't leave loose characters or loose strings where you could make a spinoff as as easy as you would a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. So. And I think that's the formula a lot of people talk about now. And a lot of people have problems with and we don't have to get into that for any reason. But uh, you can't like we've turned a corner now. You can't really not explain things the way that you could in something like this. You can't really have these characters that, that come in and out of nowhere and don't have any basis in, in mythos or reality or, yeah. or whatever. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to just get in and out like this, but yeah, I don't think it can happen now. We are voting for possibly sequel, no spinoffs for that. Where does Nick cage fit into this movie? Oh, it doesn't matter. Cause he does. Where does Tony Todd? Oh, he also does. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who's left out there in our, that we've talked about on this show that we can, we can say, Hey, where does this person fit? Sure. I, I think you take somebody, uh, kind of all over the place, somebody crazy. Uh, you, you gotta have somebody with the same kind of vibes as, uh, Nicholas cage, but mm-hmm. you're not going to get that with anybody. He's a pretty original, uh, actor um i think maybe you could take like somebody like keanu reeves and see where he could fit in this movie i don't know (laughs) yeah it was just five years prior he was doing point break Mm -hmm. and then three years after this he does the matrix so i think we're just going to go right into casting that's a really good call uh for stanley goodspeed i i would like to see like a a much older general than ed harris who seemed in his maybe mid 40s early 50s in this movie i'm Mm -hmm. really bad at guessing ages by the way if you can tell i I would assume around that same age as well yeah so if we go someone a little older uh it's it's really hard to say not not like christopher Plummer older Um, but, but something a little older and then you can kind of get that, uh, apocalypse now kind of, kind of general feel where, where you're, you're dreading the meeting of Marlon Brando. Hell put Marlon Brando <laughs> in Ed Harris's role. I don't think he'd go for it, but Hey, maybe. Mm, well, yeah, he is a little pretentious for that role, but, uh, yeah, no, I've heard so many bad things about Marlon Brando. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Yeah. The most quotable line, what, what stood out to you? What made you laugh? <laughs> Okay, um, this one did make me laugh, and this is my uh, – I, I had to rewind it like three times to make sure this is what was said and throw on the closed captioning. Possible penetration point in the shower room? <laughs> <laughs> what? Like, what the hell is that? How do you say that out of context to somebody? And, and Yeah, there is uh, the one quote that uh, I, I texted my buddy and said I was just re-watching The Rock on the weekend, and he said <laughs> – Losers always talk about how good it was. The winners go home and fuck the prom queen. <laughs> Legendary Sean Connery. Great quote too. Great quote. Mine was <laughs> when he was in the interrogation room, uh, Sean Connery still locked up. He says, can we get a cup of coffee in here, please? <laughs> I don't know. It's not that that's not funny, but just his delivery on it was uh, made me laugh. And towards the end of the movie, he Nicholas Cage asked Sean Connery. Well, what about Henderson's head when they're about to execute the hostage? As Sean Connery's walking away, he just gives him the thumbs up. There's some great ones in here. There's a, a lot of uh, of stuff in here that I almost feel like was written into the dialogue just to see if <laughs> if they could get work. it in there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's there's no there's no way that possible penetration point in the shower room wasn't a uh, <laughs> an ad lib. <laughs> yeah, uh, 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 there's I, I don't know how that gets in the movie. 
what piece of movie memorabilia would you keep from this film? Did you remember this one this time? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I didn't, didn't add it to my notes. Uh, okay, this is easy though. Look, I want one of those spears, uh, mm-hmm. those spears of yeah, the uh, of of the nerve gas. But um, but go ahead and drain the uh, the chemical okay. agent out of it, so I don't get myself into any trouble or anything. Um, and then it doesn't look as cool anymore either. But uh, no. <laughs> so now ball. now I'm kind of talking myself out of this one. But but I'm still gonna go without either that or. Uh, Sure, I'll take Nick Cage's guitar. It it, it looks like fun. <laughs> Great choices. I last week, or yeah, last week we did Jurassic Park, and I talked about taking the flare mm-hmm. from Alan Grant and watching the end of this movie. He had the two flares. Does the the Jesus Christ pose when he's waving the flares back and forth? And I thought, damn, that is almost a better flare scene than Jurassic Park. I, 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 I would I that. would agree that it is a better flare scene than Jurassic Park. I'm not going to take the same. I don't need any more flares. I already have a flare. So I'm oh, taking the on. name, the name Stanley Goodspeed. Wonderful name. <laughs> I, I, I did like that a lot. Uh. <laughs> it, it, it almost is. And this is going to go back more into the James Bond theory. It's, it's a name that a Bond girl would have. Mm-hmm. And if you look back at the history of James Bond, you look at Bond girl names, they're very similar to that where they're almost like, comically written there's like no way no way a person a real person has that name so yeah it's not a name that you encounter anywhere in your daily life uh if you did it would be odd so hey if i ever met a stanley goodspeed he's coming on this show 100 percent. there's probably one out there listening right now very offended so <laughs> stanley we mean no harm what <laughs> up, Stan. what do you rank this film out of 10 and why this movie sits at 68 percent on rotten tomatoes mm-hmm. okay i can I, I can get it 85% audience score, mm-hmm. however, for this movie. And I could definitely Where, see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'll give, I'll, I'll let you take it away because you're, this is your first two times watching this movie. Where does this movie sit out of 10 for you and why? All right. So we'll go into the why first and, and then I'll, I'll come down to my score from there as I usually do. Uh, this was a super fun movie to watch from the second that I turned it on and we got that, opening uh reigning military funeral scene uh all the way to the very end of the movie where we we see a completely dead setup for a not a sequel but whatever yeah. I, I don't know <laughs> whatever we have going on there to where we have the preacher running out of the church after mm. uh <laughs> stanley and carla um as they drive away into the sunset uh this was a a really fun movie to watch i was very engaged there were points where I was so glued to the screen. I had no interest in picking up my phone. I had, uh, I was completely engaged with what was around me. Um, you have such big personalities in this movie mm-hmm. playing off of one another. I really do feel like, uh, Sean Connery and Nick cage were, were thrown together in a bag and, and shaken up. And, and then they just had to find their way out of it together. Um, I feel like they played off one another. Now I could be completely wrong. Maybe they weren't even really on set together that much. I don't know, but, but it feels like they were, they feel like they had good chemistry there. Uh, We have some of my favorites, as I talked about, we've got Mm -hmm. Tony Todd in here doing a a wonderful job. We've got a really cool car chase that, that, yeah, it goes on a little long, but I really enjoyed it. I love the visuals of it. Um, And speaking of visuals, we have some really striking visuals here. Uh, There's a lot of good shots in this movie. Yeah. Some, some outstanding shots. There's some that even, 
it took me out for for a millisecond whenever we got that um that scene of the the bridge um with you know all the clouds and stuff going yes. on all the fog yeah. in, in, in san francisco and everything but it was a beautiful shot. Uh, there's just so many wonderful shots in this movie. And then there's some that are really campy as well. Like I talked about before that remind me of comic book panels, but I love them for that reason. So, so going back on all of that and, and the really good time that I had with this movie, how you opened my eyes to a new movie that I probably, in, in all fairness, never would have seen in my entire life. If you didn't suggest it and we weren't doing it for this podcast, I had such a great time. It's a little long. I'll give it that. Sure. There's, um, I feel like there's at least a good 20 minutes of this movie that could be cut out for, for various reasons. And I'm not going to sit here and pick them apart. What I thought could be shaved off here and there. I don't feel like that's really important other than just that. I feel like some of it could be taken away. Uh, sure. And then we have, and, and this is really where I'll get to my point. We have Ed Harris. I like Ed Harris. Ed Harris is a good actor. I enjoy Ed Harris on screen. And I didn't really get into my recasting of Ed Harris, and that's oh, uh, perfectly hey, fine. Listen, side note: I want to hear this. I want to know. I, I well, well, know. I'm I'm going to do it here anyways because you okay. know me by now. Sure. I shoehorn my notes in wherever <laughs> I can, but um, but but I did plan to kind of expand upon that right here, anyways. I I I like Ed Harris. He's he's really good, but he doesn't hold up well enough in this cast to to make this a flawless movie with flawless performance. Um, my vote is going to be, you throw somebody like Woody Harrelson in that role and it's going to shine a hell of a lot more up against Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. I feel like he could throw down with those two in a way where I wouldn't be able to look away from the television set for a, a millisecond. In Do this you movie. think it's like what I said, where there's a little bit of quirkiness maybe to Woody Harrelson that you can't get out at Harris. Absolutely. Uh, that's, that's what it is. Cause uh, Woody Harrelson can play it straight enough to execute what Ed Harris does with this role, but he can also fill in that empty space that I talked about before, mm. where there's something behind his eyes that I don't feel like Ed Harris has. Yes. So for those reasons and those reasons alone, I'm going to give this one an 8.5. I'll, I'll start by saying this movie made it onto the wheel because uh, I threw it on there. Mm-hmm. This movie's a blast to watch. It's something I stumbled on or I didn't stumble on my somebody had me watch it when I was younger and it's always stuck with me as this this word always sounds so pretentious when other people say it, but I'm going to say it <laughs> quintessential a quintessential action movie and probably one of the best movies of the 90s. Yeah, you almost I sound think. like a listicle, but I like it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so it's because of that, and and I grew up watching action movies. You can't be a James Bond fan without admiring action movies for for really what they are. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot wrong with this movie, and if you take the James Bond stuff out of it, I'm not going to give it extra points because it's to me and a continuation of Sean Connery's James Bond story. I'm not going to give it points for that. <laughs> it's not fair. But you have this mega movie with names like Ed Harris, names like Sean Connery, uh, Nicholas Cage. Tony Todd, Bokeem Woodbine, all these guys that would go on to big things directed by Michael Bay, have the music written by Hans Zimmer. And how do you find flaws in that movie? As goofy as it may be, you go into this movie with an open mind. And what you get is two hours and 17 minutes of, of pure adrenaline. 
It's nonstop, like you said, from from A to B. It, it just goes and goes and doesn't really slow down. There is no point where you can stop, look at your phone and say, well, it's just this scene. I, I, I really look forward to watching this movie for that reason and getting new people into this movie. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. It's it's like I said, quintessential. It's a big movie. Very important. And for those reasons, I'm giving it an eight because it has some nostalgia factor to to it, but not quite as much as an, a nine or a ten. So it's going to stick on my list as an eight point zero. Well, that's super interesting. And I really like your score a lot. I like your reasoning for your mm-hmm. score. Um, I feel like if you put us back to back, we have a good amount of similar reasons for things and, and a good amount of different reasons for why we uh, scored this movie the way that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's super interesting to me, at least, and maybe some of the listeners that you would suggest this movie and somehow my score uh, comes out a little higher than yours. But of course there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, maybe after subsequent viewings or something I could uh, maybe, maybe that would be lowered or whatever, but, but definitely I stand behind my score um, sure. at an, at an 8.5 right now on the two viewings that I had uh, for the reasons that I, that I gave and all of that. But yeah, just uh, it, it was a super fun movie. Again, one of the big reasons for me here is I love that nineties feel of just get in and get out. This isn't based on anything. Um, and this is coming from a super fan of franchises. I love, uh, all of the Marvel stuff, obviously, and, and, and franchises with a long history behind them and everything. But I also really appreciate that quirky eighties, nineties thing where it was just written to be a movie and and that's all it ever was. And and we're in and we're out and we're done. And it lives on in your heart as a uh, wonderful piece of media and you're finished with it. Uh, one of my favorites of all time. And if you like the what we have to say about The Rock, I know in Canada anyway, The Rock is available on Disney+. Plus. Oh, nice. N- not so not here in the up. States, but uh, you can get it elsewhere for free um, streaming. Right. So Check it out if you're interested in what we had to say about The Rock. This has been another episode, episode 9. Wow. Already. We're, we're, we're getting on 10. The 10th <laughs> anniversary coming up. Wow. Uh, for real good movies, I am Jer. I'm Dan. Thanks for listening. Take care. You sure you're ready for this? I'll do my best. Your best? Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. Carla was the prom queen. Really? Yeah.